we're, we're, as I said at the start of the service, we're just starting our series on faith. And one of the, the passages that we're looking at today is the Exodus. And I'm really excited for this series. The whole point of it is to believe in a God who um, does the impossible, who can achieve anything. And so I'm, I'm just going to invite Jeff up and pray for him just before he starts. Isn't it great to have Jeff here from um, St. Barnabas? Yeah. Brilliant. Do you mind if I pray for you, Jeff? Yes, I do. Yeah, okay, all right. <laughs> Is that all right? Lord Jesus, I thank you for Jeff. I thank you for his immense giftings, Lord, and St. Barnabas as well, Lord. And I just pray that you bless them. And just as Jeff brings your word, Lord, I pray he is filled with your spirit. Thank you, Jesus. In your precious name, amen. 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 <laughs> well, it seems a long time since I was here, isn't it? I, I miss you. Big dilemma I had this morning, though, was what shall I wear? Because I know you've got rid of any clerical garb. And uh, it was a problem that I had when I was working in London with John Coles at St. Barnabas there. And I'd moved from a church where I actually robed up to going to St. Barnabas. And it was kind of, well, what shirt should I put on this morning? What tie should I put on? I didn't even have to put a tie on this morning, did I? For you guys. But it's great to be with you. You know, I, I've, I've been with the Lantern and at St. Barnabas, but with you guys on your journey for 18 and a half years. Can you believe that? Teresa and I came in 1999, and we're still here, <laughs> which is scary, isn't it? And the way that God's been speaking to me, I think I'll be here until retirement, so I hope that's a, a good thing. They seem to think it is at St. Barnabas, which is great. I do apologize for my voice this morning. I've got a, a, something viral going on, and my throat is, is rather hoarse, and it's kind of taking my ears out as well. But I'll, I'll do my best. And you're asking me to preach twice this morning as well. Never mind. Let's just have a look at Exodus uh, chapter 14. Just going to read part of this uh, wonderful story of the parting of the Red Sea. From verse 10, as Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. They were terrified and cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. Raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them. And I will gain glory through Pharaoh and all his army, through his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I gain glory through Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the angel of the God who had been traveling in front of Israel's army withdrew and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. 
coming between the armies of Egypt and Israel. Throughout the night, the cloud brought darkness to the one side and light to the other. So neither went near the other all night long. And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And all that night, the Lord drove the sea back with a strong east wind and turned it into dry land. The waters were divided and the Israelites went through the sea on dry ground with a wall of water on their right and on their left. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege that we have of being able to look back on what you have done through your people, Lord. And we pray, as Jesus prayed, Lord, that when the Spirit comes, he would lead us in truth. So, Holy Spirit, we pray you do that. Lead us in truth this morning for your glory's sake. Amen. Last week at Remembrance Sunday, at St. Barnabas asked a question, how many people who were in the congregation were alive when the Battle of Britain happened? I'll do it again this morning. How many people were alive when the Battle of Britain happened? 1941, I believe. John, Liz, John, three, four, David, brilliant. Now, it was about similar numbers at St. Barnabas last week. And then I said to the people, but you who weren't there, you actually feel an affinity with those people that were. There was only four people last week and four people are here, but there were many other millions of people who were involved. We feel this kind of affinity as British people. We feel a connection with those people who went through those terrible things that happened in the Second World War. And in spiritual terms, there's another story, which although we haven't shared their experiences that they went through, we also feel connected. And that story is the story of the Hebrews, the story of the Jews. It's the story of the first Christians as well, who met in Jerusalem, and then it spread, the church spread to, to Rome and Corinth and Ephesus and Thessalonica, etc., etc. We are part of the people of God, and their story is our story too. And that's why we read and we study how God, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Moses, interacted with his people, even though it's thousands of years ago. It's incredibly relevant and life-changing for us today. The thing is, there's some Christians right off the Old Testament, and there's many heretics over the centuries who've done the same. They say the God in the Old Testament is a different God. He was always killing people. We don't want to read the Old Testament. That's foolish, folks. This is the story of God's people, just as the Battle of Hastings is the story of British people fighting against the Normans. Today, you're beginning, and I'm starting it, a new mini-series on the theme, All I Need is a Miracle. And I really thought about playing a track from one of my favorite bands, Mike and the Mechanics, as I walked up the stage. All I need is a miracle. But I decided not to. <laughs> and today, we're looking at our story, The Crossing of the Red Sea. And it's one of the most famous miracle stories in the Bible, and Hollywood has had a great time with it, live action and animation films. But as we, with other miracle stories, there are many inside and outside the church who ask, did this really happen? Do miracles really happen? I remember a story about a young boy whose mother was making him go to Sunday school against his wishes, and he claimed that Sunday school was boring. And his mother knew that the lesson that day was on Moses and the crossing of the Red Sea. She figured that lesson would spark some interest in the boy. So she asked him on their way home, what did you learn at Sunday school today? 
Our son paused for a few moments, then began to relate the story. Well, the Egyptians had the Israelites trapped against the sea. So Moses called in the engineers through a pontoon bridge across, and in the night, the fog moved in, and all his troops crossed over to the other side. In the morning, the Egyptians saw what had happened and rolled across the bridge in their tanks. But just before they got to the other side, Moses called in an airstrike and sunk the bridge with all the Egyptians on it. Johnny said his mother, you know your Sunday school teacher didn't tell the story that way. Well, not exactly, said Johnny, but if I told it the way she told it, you wouldn't believe it. (laughs) And that's the whole premise of miracles, isn't it? They are, by their very definition, events that transcend belief. When people find themselves facing impossible dilemmas, they usually say, we need a miracle. Or, well, all we can do now is pray. And you think, oh, it's got that desperate, has it? We're going to pray. Oh, my word. In other words, we need something to happen that goes beyond the ordinary. So what really happened at the Red Sea? Well, I can't tell you because I wasn't there. But I can tell you, though, that the Israelites made a surprising escape from Egypt. And that their explanation is that God intervened on their behalf to rescue them from Pharaoh's army, which is good enough for me. In regard to the Red Sea, just precisely where the water was parted, how much water was parted, the Bible doesn't say. But let's just take a look at the story itself and maybe go back a little bit as well. God's chosen people. The Hebrews, the Jews, were literally slaves in Egypt. And they cried out to Yahweh for him to intervene and for him to save them. God commissions Moses, who is not convinced he is the man for the job. But he goes and he says to Pharaoh, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. Moses says, God says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. Moses says, God said, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no. And then it begins to sound like a clip from Bohemian Rhapsody. You know, no, 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 no. Mamma mia, mamma mia. <laughs> I got that one in anyway. Anyway, this series is called All I Need is a Miracle. And that's what we get in this story, isn't it? Truth is, God had performed miracle after miracle on behalf of his people finally leading them straight out of slavery, away from the cruel hand of the Egyptians. He set them free. He set them free from oppression, free from captivity, free from bondage, and the adventure was just getting started. Now, when Pharaoh let the people go, what's interesting is that God didn't lead them on the road that made most sense. If you can put that first slide up, I'll see if my zapper works at some point. There we go. The Bible tells us in Exodus 13 that though the path was shorter right through the Philistine country, God said, if they face war, they might change their minds and return to Egypt. So he led them around the the desert road over towards the Red Sea. And I came across this cartoon on uh, Facebook just about three weeks ago, and I thought, oh, that's ideal for my sermon. I'm not sure whether you could read that, but maybe, hopefully you can. Moses at the front And people behind her are saying, recalculating, recalculating. And Moses is saying, knock it off. But as the Israelites got closer, that sea must have looked bigger and deeper. An obstacle that seemed too difficult to overcome. And with our eyes focused on the problem, they forgot about the bigness of their God. 
even all, all, after all the things that he'd done in Egypt. Obvious questions loomed. How were they going to get across that thing? You know, surely some of them made a wrong turn. But just how do you go about doing a U-turn with between one and two million people in tow? Well, 14.11 says this. They said to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? No, you didn't. I'm sure Moses must have been so frustrated it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert, they said. But look at the way that Moses responds. He responds with meekness, actually, and calmness to this rebellion. Moses answered the people, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians, this is a lovely line, interesting, not lovely for the Egyptians, but the Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. The difference between Moses and the children of Israel was one of perspective. They saw Pharaoh bearing down on them while Moses saw God fighting for them. It's, it's that simple. Moses quietly instilled courage by gently rebuking the children of Israel. Stand still. See what God will accomplish on your behalf. I mean, you don't expect your general to tell you just to stand still, do you? As the enemy presses down upon you. But this is no mere military conflict. It was a battle fought not by soldiers, but by the Lord God himself. And he did it. God parted the waters of the Red Sea as he protected his people. He provided a way of escape at the same time that he made a watery grave for the Egyptians. And if you want to see a good visual presentation of that, then you may, may want to watch Gods and Kings with Christine Bale. But as with everything that happens in the history of God's people, in the Old and New Testament, there are a number of lessons that we learn today in the 21st century that go beyond the obvious. Let me suggest a few from this particular passage. Here's eight powerful reminders from the Red Sea miracle. First one, God knows what he's doing. It says in Exodus 13, so God led the people around by the desert road towards the Red Sea. Even if the way he's leading doesn't seem to make much sense and his timing seems off on the weight and the journey, even though we may feel like we're wandering around in desert places, we can trust him. Always. He knows our way. He sees the big picture. He has good in store. And though it may not have been what we would have chosen or how we would do things, we can thank him for his sovereignty, his care over us, and his leadership. Secondly, God leads our way. Exodus 13, by day the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light. See, God will not leave us to fend for ourselves, struggling to find our way. He will lead us. He promises to. We may not see him in a pillar of cloud or fire these days, but we've got his word. 
and the Holy Spirit to give us guidance all our days. He's with us. He gives us wisdom. He provides direction, and we're going to be looking for that wisdom and direction in the next two days as we choose someone to replace Andy here at the Lantern. He goes ahead of us. He walks with us, and he guards our way from behind. His word gives truth and life and shows us the way to walk in this world. Three, when we see obstacles, God sees opportunities. He will make a way where there seems to be no way at all. The bigger the problem, the greater his ability to shine through all of it. In Exodus 14, 9, it says, The Egyptians, all Pharaoh, Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea. Things were looking bleak, things were looking dark, yet God had a plan, and it was amazing. Fourthly, we can focus on the problem, or we can choose to trust God. The Israelites were terrified when they saw the enemy coming their way. They doubted their leader. They questioned God, they complained, they grumbled, they panicked, understandably. Yet God didn't get mad at their humanity or fears. He only asked their obedience and their trust. The Lord will fight for you. You need, and we keep coming back to this, you need only to be still. So, problem. Do we focus on God or do we focus on the problem? We choose all through our lives, we've probably come up experiencing situations where we think things are impossible. God's Word says all things are possible. We say, I'm too tired. God says, I will give you rest. We say, nobody really loves me. God says, I love you. We say, nobody really cares for me. God says, I care for you. We say, I can't go on. God says, my grace is sufficient for you. We say, I can't figure things out. God says, I shall direct your paths. We say, I can't do it. God says, you can do all things. We say, I'm unable. God says, I am able. We say, I'm not worth it. God says, it will be worth it. We say, I can't forgive myself. God says, I forgive you. We say, I can't afford to. God says, I will supply all your needs. Fifthly, prayer is vital. Yet sometimes God says, it's time to get moving. It's time to get moving. God may ask for stillness and trust, and other times he might say, get going and keep trusting. God says to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the Israelites to move on. <laughs> You know, it's just so important to listen for his voice, isn't it? To know when to be still and also to know when to get up and when to move forward. His voice will lead us. And he never leads in confusion, but always with assurance and clarity. And there's times in life when we pray about a decision. And even though God shows us what to do, we get stuck along the way, don't we? So we just say, you know, we're still praying about it. I'm still praying about it. Over and over, instead of moving forward and doing what he's already said that we should be doing. If we ask him for wisdom to know the right step to take, he will provide direction. He will open doors on our behalf and close those that need to be shut too. Sixthly, God will work powerfully in our behalf 
but he often asks for our obedience first. God asked Moses to do one thing, raise your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea to divide the water so that the Israelites can go through the sea on dry ground. Now, those of you who've done prayer minister training, I'm sure you've heard this illustration. That's all Moses was asked to do. But why? Why did God say, stretch out your hand over the waters? I mean, Moses could have just debated with him, couldn't he? But God, what, what's the point of that? You know, what, what, why don't you just part the sea? Why do I have to hold my staff over the sea? He says, you do it. You do it. And in a similar way, when we're praying for people and we, we lay hands on you could argue the fact, well, Phil's there. I say, Lord, you know, just, just heal Phil, will you? Just heal him. It's a step of faith. We step out and we pray for that person. We spend time with that person. We lay hands on that person. And God, the rest is up to God, isn't it? The rest is up to him. Moses was asked to obey God's voice. And with staff raised and hand outstretched, God's mighty power was unleashed. And that scene not only divided, the, but the people walking right through it, they walked on dry ground. <laughs> not even a hint of sinking sand. As God's children, we are not destined to walk in mud and mire. He dries up the path before us. So we're heading out on firm ground. He is our sure foundation. Our obedience to his voice will lead to blessing. Seven. God will stand between us and the enemy. We never fight alone. He will send his angels to fight for us and guard us. He himself will fight for us and he will guard us. That's how much he loves us and desires to set his protection over us. It's wonderful, that passage, Exodus 14, 19. Then the angel of God withdrew from the front and went behind them. The pillar of cloud also moved from in front and stood behind them. He will hem us in from all sides and keep us under his care. It doesn't mean we won't ever face the battle, but we can know that he's surely with us in the midst of that battle. And eight, our God is a God of miracles. The same God, this same God who divided the Red Sea so the Israelites crossed on dry ground and covered up the enemy in the depths of that same sea, bringing salvation to his people. This is the same God who works on your behalf and my behalf today. Can I get an amen or hallelujah for that one? Thank you. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We all know that verse. But how do we believe it? Exodus 14, when the, 31, when the Israelites saw the great power the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. We may be facing, you know, our own Red Sea moment this week. Smaller scale. <laughs> Maybe the enemy seems hot on our trail, lurking close, whispering lies and defeat, trying his best to trip us up. Maybe the obstacles that loom before us seem too hard for us to overcome. We want to turn back. We want to give up, even. We find ourselves questioning God and doubting his care and his love over us. But it still doesn't change this one truth. God is a God of miracles, 
and he is with us, and he fights for us today. And as believers who have made the choice to put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, we can stand on the assurance that he will never leave us or forsake us. He will lead us. He will bring honor to himself through even the hardest circumstances we face in this life. He is strengthening us and he's guiding us continually, though it may seem that the enemy is winning at times. He does not have full control because God is greater. And sometimes when we've done all we know to do, he whispers these words down deep into our soul. You need only to be still. You need only to be still. For the Lord fights for you. And, you know, as as a singer and as a worship leader myself, I love the fact that following this miracle, they wrote a song. It's great. I'm thrilled that a song was written to highlight this event. I'm I'm really upset, Pat, you didn't sing it this morning. Exodus 15. I mean, before I lead worship um, and we were praying with the band, I often say, Lord, thank you that you have given us a reason to sing. You are the one who put these songs in our heart. This is a song in Exodus 15 that Moses and the children of Israel sang to the Lord. Why? Well, because deliverance and redemption demand praise and worship, don't they? Yeah, one way God's people manifest worship is through singing. Singing allows us to express the joy we have for what God accomplishes on our behalf. It's a barometer of the heart. I know I I feel very passionate, and I hate it when I see people stood there with their hands in their pockets when I'm leading worship. Our singing ought not to be selfish, man-centered, lifeless, or apathetic. And Exodus 15 is a hymn of worship to the holy God of redemption, emphasizing that he is the God of miracles. The one who is, in chapter 15, highly exalted, our strength and song, our salvation, our warrior, glorious and powerful in battle, great and excellent in battle, majestic in holiness, fearful in praises, merciful to redeem, guiding with his strength, reigning forever. And if you've never read Exodus 15, when you go home, read it. The enemy in arrogance says, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide the spoil. My desire shall be satisfied on them. I I will draw my sword. My hand shall destroy them. Well, it didn't happen the way the enemy and Pharaoh planned it. Moses asked twice of the Lord, who is like you? None. That is why we've got to remind ourselves and remind each other to proclaim God's holiness, his awesome power, his wonder-working majesty, and his merciful redemption. He has triumphed gloriously. The song also declares, he has cast the enemy into the sea. He has dashed the enemy in pieces. He has overthrown those who rose against him. He sent forth his wrath to consume the enemy as stubble. He created the walls of water to deliver his children. He brought the walls down to create a watery grave. He has done wonders. He has shown mercy in leading his redeemed. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. Salvation like this demands a song. (laughs) And this response of praise comes from the deep inner spiritual perspective. It's a perspective that comes to those 
who are obedient and faithful in the work God has called them to do. You know, as I think about this awesome miracle of walking across the Red Sea, I'm reminded again of how things don't always go to plan in our lives. We typically try to plan out our lives using a you know, preset schedule of events, don't we? The plan includes finishing college by this age, getting married by that age, purchasing a house before having children, and then hopefully having children. And life sometimes, but doesn't always, follow through on that, does it? It doesn't follow our carefully planned itinerary. And consequently, we may feel that we're wandering in a wilderness of our own, moving in a different direction than we had planned. And God knows us better than we know ourselves or are willing to admit. <laughs> and there can be many reasons that God takes us the long way through the wilderness. And some of you may be in that place now. For one, attaining our goals without proper spiritual growth can drive us further from God. Arrogance and pride. For example, some who've achieved their goals think it's due to their hard work, wisdom, skill, education, or talent, and I'm sure that they have a part to play. They think that God had nothing to do with it. They might be on a successful track in life, but they don't know that they're spiritually lost. Another reason that God might be taking us through the wilderness is that it's a perfect place to learn how to depend on Him. Other people are in the wilderness because they disobey God's leading, and now they're in a place where they've got to seek God's leading. And if you're wondering, is because of disobedience, and it does happen in Christian churches, disobedience. If you're wondering, is because of disobedience, the, the answer is simple. Turn towards God. Turn towards obedience. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. The God who performed all those miracles, who led his children through the wilderness, is the same one leading us today. If God does not bring us on the shortest path to his goals, to the place that he has promised to bring us, then he has his reasons, and it's for our good. It's our job to keep moving forward on the path. So as you journey, don't be anxious about tomorrow, but engage in what God is doing in your life today. Jesus says, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? God has in mind his best for us, and we shouldn't lose faith at the sight of obstacles like the Red Sea or the battles we must engage in to reach our destiny. Don't give up on what God has promised you, even though it seems slow in coming. And though it may be the long, dry way, don't cry to God about it. Go forward. Go forward. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel, tell the people of Canford to go forward, to move on, to move on. Let me finish with this final thought. One of my favorite preachers is a guy called Tim Keller. And he leads a church in New York. Great preacher. And one thing he always says and does is that he always comes back to Jesus and the cross. And I agree, I think it's a good place to return to, isn't it? Truth is, the greatest miracle that we read about in Scripture is the miracle of salvation. God intervenes on behalf of the people he has created. And he resurrects the broken, the beaten body of Jesus from the dead. And that, in that amazing act, offers a way 
out of slavery, offers freedom for the oppressed, freedom for those in chains, freedom from bondage, freedom from death, freedom from the cost of sin. The exodus from Egypt, though a real historical event, prefigures the saving work of Christ for his people. What God did through Moses was to provide physical salvation from physical slavery. What God does through Christ is to provide spiritual salvation from spiritual slavery. The Apostle Paul says this, For I want you to know, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ. Paul is making the connection between the exodus from Egypt and salvation in Christ. Notice how Paul says, all were baptized into Moses. Just as the Israelites were baptized into Moses, so too are Christians baptized into Christ. And he says this in Romans 6, We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So the miracle of the parting of the Red Sea not only finalized God's redemption of his people from slavery in Egypt, but it also prefigured the greater spiritual reality of God's redemption of his people from slavery to sin through the work of Jesus Christ. That is an incredible miracle. And it's one that every single person on this planet has the opportunity to see and experience. Isn't it? People say, show me a miracle. Turn to Christ. That's a miracle. Your sins will be forgiven. That's a miracle. You have a promise of resurrection life. That's a miracle. All we need is a miracle. And that's what he gave us. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Maybe the band can come back. In fact, why don't you just stand with me? Let's just wait upon God for a few minutes as we sing our final song. Lord, so often we, we miss these amazing truths or we forget them or so many other things take their place. Lord, help us to really grasp this amazing miracle today. Yes, Lord, we didn't walk through the Red Sea, but Lord, you saved us from a life of slavery, slavery to sin. My chains have fallen off. My heart is free, and I can rise and follow you, Lord Jesus. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you. Lord, and I pray for those, Lord, who seem to be in a wilderness this morning and wondering what's going on in their lives. Lord, I pray that this morning is the beginning of them realizing that they are on a journey, but you are with them. Lord, that you are with them on this journey and that you'll always be with them, Lord. And just remind them and remind us all, Lord, of that amazing truth. For your glory's sake, amen.